You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. This morning we continue our sermon series through the Gospel of John. So if you would take scriptures, however you access God's Word, and you would turn there or swipe there or whatever you need to do, and turn to John chapter 6. And as has already been mentioned in our service, the Gospel of John was written for, for a specific purpose. It was written so that people who are reading it, people who are interacting with it, people who are encountering it, it's written so that those people will see who Christ is and will believe in Him, and they will know that in believing in Him, they will have life. They will specifically have eternal life. That is why we are calling again this series, Come and See, that you may believe and have life in Jesus. And so every Sunday, we keep coming back to the same subject, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking at again this morning. We're going to be hearing this from verses 22 through 59. Uh, In these verses, Jesus is really helping us to make sure that our attention and our affections are focused on right things. It's so easy to have our attention, and pretty much where our attention goes, our affections follow. So wherever we're focused, that tends to be uh, what we end up wanting and delighting in, and our affections get set on. And he's going to help us to make sure that our attention and our affections are focused on the right things. He's going to help us see who he is truly, and that ultimately our attention and our affections should be focused on Jesus Christ. So I'll begin reading. We're going to read this whole passage because it's more important what God says than what I say about what God says. So we're going to read this whole passage. Beginning in verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered that boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone, meaning without Jesus. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. They went across the lake. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, 
then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to Him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in Me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen Me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives Me will come to Me. And whoever comes to Me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. 
as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as He taught at Capernaum. The Word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, just reading this again, You have filled our hearts and minds with so much of Yourself. And You have brought in our, in our, in our attention You have placed Jesus front and center. So as we work our way through this, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be drawn. Our wills would be submitted. We would be eager to receive from our Savior the one who says He is the bread of life. Lord, minister to our hearts. Because we know, Lord, it's so easy that sometimes we feast on a lot of other things instead of on Christ. But right now, you have our attention. Address us, speak to us by your Spirit through your Word. We pray this because of what Jesus did and in his name. Amen. So just really a couple things we're going to look at, and it has to do with how Jesus is really wanting us to shift our focus. And the first is this. Jesus challenges us to shift our focus from physical needs to spiritual needs. To shift our focus from physical needs to spiritual needs. Verses 26 and 27, in response to 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 their question, to these followers' questions. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now remember, what Jesus had just done prior to this was He had done two pretty incredible miracles. He had multiplied five loaves and two fish into enough food to feed a whole crowd that was at least 5,000 men. And we probably, many people estimate it was probably more women and children. And he, he did that like he does, because our God just does things superly, abundantly, beyond all that we can think or ask. That's the kind of God he is. There was 12 baskets full left over. And soon after that, Jesus sends his disciples onto the, to the, to the Sea of Galilee, and he sends them out in a boat, and then that boat gets caught up into this windstorm where no matter how hard they're rowing, they can't get back to land. And then Jesus comes walking to them on the water. He ends up getting in the boat. They end up going to the other side. And that's kind of where this passage picks up. When Jesus arrived at the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he was met by essentially the same crowd who had also got into boats and came over. They wanted to follow Jesus. So the people are a little bit confused, which is this first interchange that we have here. Like, you know, Jesus, where did you come from? Like, basically, how are you here? Okay, this doesn't make sense to us. So they say, Rabbi, where did you come from? Now, you would think... 
that Jesus would have been glad to see these people. Ah, oh, these people, they're following. They're, 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 they're coming after me. <laughs> they're wanting more of what I'm offering. They wanted to hear more. But, but Jesus' response to them isn't that He's pleased that they're pursuing Him. Matter of fact, He calls them out for their superficial motives in following Him. He tells them, you followed me over here, you got in these boats and you came over here because I provided food for you. Not because you understood the significance of me providing food. All you saw was that your needs were met. Your physical needs were met in that moment. They, did, they followed Jesus because they thought, essentially, He was going to continue to feed them. He was going to continue to do these things that would benefit them materially or physically. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus challenges their motives so that they will change their focus from their physical needs to their greater, more pressing spiritual needs. Don't work for food that perishes, he says. You may have come here for this, but let's, let's shift this focus. Don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life. Now, Jesus absolutely cared about people physically and materially and even their financial needs. I mean, He had just provided food for over 5,000 people because they were hungry. The Gospels are, are full of examples and opportunities and, and, and events where Jesus healed people physically. And Jesus was the one who taught us to pray, to ask God for our daily bread. He understands we're physical creatures. He understands we have needs. And that part of, of who Christ is, is caring for people in that kind of way. But Jesus never confused what was the greater need for every person. We hear these words from Jesus in Matthew. Do not be anxious about what you will eat or drink or what you will put on your body. Why? Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is in Christ alone. And all these things will be added to you. He will take care this doesn't mean we can stop working. This doesn't mean that we don't need to make wise decisions. But our trust and our hope is in Him. Yes, those things matter. But there is a greater spiritual need. And that's what Jesus is concerned about here. And that's what He continues to be concerned about for us. These people wanted Jesus to meet more of their physical needs. Jesus wanted them to see they had a deeper spiritual need. And that He was the only one that could meet that. Physical and material desires and needs so easily divert our focus away from Christ and the greater needs of our soul to trust Him, to follow Him, to worship Him, to obey Him, to know Him. In some ways, the greatest danger to the evangelical church today is not losing religious liberty. It's not the assault from the world trying to silence the church. 
One of the great dangers to the church today is its wealth and the wealth of its members. We face temptations that we are always being pushed to find security and satisfaction in the things we own, in what our bank accounts show to us. We face a constant threat to allow things that we own to make us settle into being comfortable. And we have this false sense of well-being. We don't look to Christ for our daily bread. We don't trust in the Lord for what we need. We make decisions based oftentimes about how it affects our bottom line financially instead of seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It is easy to get things reversed from how they ought to be in a follower of Christ where we love people and we are grateful for and use things. How easy it is for us to reverse that to where we love things and we use people. We forget what our greatest spiritual need is because we're able to put so much material things into our life that we don't see it and we don't feel it. Jesus is challenging us, why do we really follow Him? Is it for what He can give us physically or materially? Do we follow Him because He might heal us? What He might give to us physically or materially, or are we following Him because He's the Son of God? And so we want to make sure that our priority is always our spiritual need. We don't want our physical needs and our material possessions to cloud our judgment or to distract us from the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And this is always a threat and has always been a threat to God's people. God's people seem to do better in adversity and, and lack than they do in prosperity and wealth. Those who are blessed by God with money, we're warned in Scripture. It's not sinful to have money. It's not sinful to have material things. But listen to what it says here. Be careful about the dangers of the soul. As 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul saw the, the dangers, the temptations that come with wealth, that come with money, that come with possessions. They can entangle themselves in our soul to where they begin to obscure Christ and our need for Christ. With great wealth comes a great responsibility to God and a great accountability from God. And I absolutely believe God gives some people that ability to make wealth so that they will fund kingdom work. And they will take care of what's needed. But we all must guard our hearts from loving wealth. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It is easy to think only those who have lots of money is that really an issue. I realize in the times in our, my life where I didn't have much money, I thought more about money then than I did in those times where I did have more money. And I was thinking as if, if I could only have more money, everything would be good. Everything would be better. And it's, it, it's as if having money would be better than having Christ. So hear what, hear what it says. Just a few verses before that verse I read from 1 Timothy 6. It says this in verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. There is a danger to the soul of a follower of Christ that wealth and money can entangle itself in our souls. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not the root of all evil, and that's how oftentimes people quote this. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. So we just want to be honest. Jesus' purpose here is to point people beyond the physical to the spiritual. It, he said, you, you came after me because I fed you. And how often does that kind of play itself out in our lives as well? He wanted these people to understand they were in need of something so much more vital than even food. They needed Christ. They needed the life that was only found in Christ. They wanted Christ to fill their needs, not be their Savior and Lord. And that's why when He began saying, this is what it means to follow Me, so many of those people left Him. Because they didn't want that kind of Lord. They wanted someone who would do their bidding, who would meet their needs. I think this kind of points us back, if you remember in, in the second chapter of, of John, that people were believing in Him because of His miracles. But it says this, that Jesus did not entrust Himself to them because He knew their heart. He knew they were believing in Him because they were seeing some of these things, but they didn't understand the importance of what they were seeing. They were just drawn to the sensationalism of what they were seeing. And the same kind of thing was happening here in verse in chapter 6, when in verse 15, what we looked at last week, that people were trying, hey, we found Jesus. We know exactly the kind of, of, of Messiah that we want. We're going to force him to be our king. And Jesus pulls way back from that. And he does that consistently throughout his ministry. Jesus knew their hearts weren't right. They didn't understand who He was or why He came. They wanted a Jesus that would fulfill their expectations and meet their desires. And this is what these people following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee wanted. Not a Savior to cover their sin or a Lord to submit to, but someone to meet their needs. Listen, wealth and prosperity isn't just a danger for the church. It's an obstacle for the lost. It can 
keep people from seeing their need for Christ to be their Savior, to, to see their, that they need a Redeemer. They need what Jesus is saying here. They actually need the bread of life, but they don't see it because they have everything they, they want, they think. They put their hope and base their confidence on their investments. And added to that, and this, this becomes part of the seduction of our age, is all the incredible modern technologies and the scientific breakthroughs and the medical advances, they're all adding to the level of life that we're able to live, particularly in the West. This keeps people blind from seeing their need for God who uniquely created them for His purpose. They think, I'm fine, I am good, I need nothing, I can do whatever I want. As long as I be good here and there and I help some people and I give 20 bucks to the guy on the corner at the stoplight, stop or I help a GoFundMe page somehow, if I'm just trying to be kind in general, and those things are good. But they're deceptive for a person who doesn't understand the deeper need that they have for Christ. We all need to hear the warning of the parable of the rich fool. Take care, Jesus said, and be on your guard against all covetousness, wanting more and wanting what other people have, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You see, the rich fool had land, and that land was producing plentifully for him. And so he decided he was going to build larger barns in which to store it all. And then he says to himself, Soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Hear, hear, what, hear what, what it says. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the rich one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So as we consider what is happening here and the shift that Jesus is trying to, to see in the, the focus of the people is trying to point out to them they're focused over here, they need to be focused over here instead on Him. Just two questions as I think about this at this point. Christian, is your focus mainly on Christ or is it on your physical, material, and financial needs? When you think of Christ, is your first thought His kingdom and His righteousness or is it your needs? For anyone who may not be a Christian, you're somewhere else in your spiritual journey. Maybe you're even considering the claims of Christ. I would encourage you, what are you looking to in your life? Are you looking to food that perishes? Or are you looking to that which is eternal? That endures to eternal life. So Jesus not only challenges us to change our focus from physical, material needs to spiritual needs. Second, he also challenges us to shift our focus from religious systems to life in Christ. From religious systems to life in Christ. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes 
has eternal life. Here's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to help them, and by implication, trying to help us understand where life is, where true life was, where abundant life, eternal life is found, and it's found only in Him, because the people who are following Him would have been steeped in the religious, cultural uh, influence of, of Judaism. They would, have, they would have been spent their whole life understanding there are systems and there are rules that you abide by when you follow when you when you are when you're a Jew. Matter of fact, they even bring up Moses. And anytime they bring up Moses, it's almost with a, yeah, our father is Moses. And he's the lawgiver. And here's what we've been living under. And what we know now is that all of those things were a sign pointing forward to Christ that would find fulfillment in Christ. But Jesus says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Listen to what he says, which the Son of Man will give you. They spent their whole life working, and now Jesus is saying, something's going to actually be given to you. Don't work for the bread that perishes. Instead, give yourself to finding the bread that endures to eternal life. Obviously, Jesus isn't talking about physical bread. He's talking about himself. Verse 32, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. See, they were thinking, oh, this manna. You know what manna means? It means, whatchamacallit. That's essentially why, like, what is this stuff? And they ate it for their wanderings in the wilderness. They had no idea what this stuff was. Whatchamacallit. Okay, hey, it's a new day. Go get some more whatchamacallit out there and bring it and we're going to eat it. And they're pointing to this. And they're, they're actually even saying, hey, Jesus, what miracle will you do? Moses provided this man in the wilderness. And, and it's like one of those, what? you were all there. You all ate what I just did, the miracle that I just did. You ate your fill, and there were all these loaves and fish left over. Yet they're continually because they can't let go of Moses. And the systems that they had been embred in them, they didn't understand how those systems were pointing forward to Christ. Verse 32, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's just a few points just to note here as we consider this. Again, Jesus is shifting their focus from what they do to what Christ gives. This is the essence of grace. This is the essential nature of the gospel. Grace is what God does for us that we cannot do for ourselves, but yet is desperately needed. It's not optional. It is absolutely a necessity. And he's trying to shift their focus like, what you need, you can't produce, you can't generate it. I'm the thing you need, and you can't, you can't work for that. I'm going to actually give it to you. In a little bit, we're going to hear, as Jesus says, here, here's the work. You're asking what work you can do? The work is to believe in the one he sent. So Jesus says, don't work for food that perishes. Don't fill your life with the stuff of this world that you think will satisfy you. 
but, f- but fill your life with the food that endures to internal, eternal life that the Son will give you. Verses 28 and 29. Let me go back and read those for us. For on him God the Father set his seal. They then said to him, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So again, Jesus is not only the bread of life, he gives the bread to us. He gives us himself, and we are called to believe it and receive it. So he goes on and he says, To the one who comes to him, that person will never hunger. To the one who believes in him, they shall never thirst. In other words, satisfaction of the soul at the deepest level is met only in coming to and believing in Christ. Please hear that. Christian, non-Christian, wherever you may be in your, your spiritual journey, he who comes to Jesus will never thirst and he who believes in Jesus he who comes to Jesus will never hunger and he who believes in Jesus will never thirst everything else that tries to substitute itself for Christ will always leave us spiritual hungry and spiritually thirsty without exception because we were made for God And here is the promise that Jesus attaches to this. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. We we say this again and again in this church. We do essentially the same thing every week and say the same thing essentially every week. Because we have no other message other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the sameness doesn't have to be mundane or boring because Jesus is the same message. He is alive. He is exciting. He is fascinating. But we keep coming back to Him. So we're not presenting anything new this morning. We are just basically coming back again to the same glorious, soul-freeing truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel we hear Sunday after Sunday as it is preached and as it is sung. And that is, it is commemorated in communion. The gospel is the announcement that made to all that God was in His Son reconciling the world to Himself so that some might have life. Jesus said, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What, what, what does He mean by that? Is my flesh. Listen, Jesus became flesh in order to live a righteous life. So He then could die a sin-atoning death so everyone who believes in Him might have life. That's the Gospel. It's the news that we deliver. It's not good advice. It's good news. We're not supposed to obey the Gospel as much as we're supposed to believe the Gospel. This is what Jesus means when He calls Himself the bread of life. Jesus keeps helping us to focus on the life that is in Him and not on the things of this world and not on the religious systems that so fill people up. 
But look further, there's more of these promises that, that are tied to Jesus being the bread of life. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. The Father is drawing and saving people by bringing them to his Son, Jesus. And all the people the Father gives to Jesus will come to Him, and Jesus will not turn them away, and they will always be His. And not only that, listen to this, saint. Jesus said that He will be sure to raise them up on the last day. Did you hear that? The promise of our Savior is that He's going to raise us up on the last day. Because Jesus continues to be the bread of life, God continues to bring people to Him. This is our hope. And this is the joy we share as we share Christ and the Gospel with others. We do that with the confidence that God is still saving people. That there are still those that He is drawing and bringing to Christ. And that when we proclaim the gospel, whether it's in this service or in our relationships or wherever we may be, that we, we can do that with the confidence that God is still saving. This time is still the day of salvation. We have that confidence. God is still drawing. Jesus is still saving. And He will keep to the end those that the Lord brings to Him until He raises us up on that last day. We share the gospel with that confidence. That God continues to draw people to His Son. And that all He gives to His Son will come to His Son. You know, you know what evangelism means? You know what the word literally translates as in English? Gospeling. I, I like that. Gospeling. G-O-S-P-E-L-I-N-G. Gospeling. That's, that's what we're doing. We're gospeling. We, we keep repeating the news of what God did some 2,000 years ago. It's not what God does in our hearts that we're proclaiming. It's what God did on a hill 2,000 years ago that we're proclaiming. And because of that, it has impact into our hearts. It isn't our responsibility to figure out who God is bringing to the Son. We share broadly. We scatter the seed wildly, broadly. We share Jesus in the gospel with all with the confidence that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life and Jesus will raise up. It's not our job to ultimately convince anyone. It's certainly not our job to convert anyone. I learned this when I was a youth at Super Summer in Houston, Texas when I was in 8th grade. And it has stuck with me my whole life. So you think you don't learn something when you're young? This stuff can stick with you. This is what I learned when we talked about evangelism or sharing your faith. It is our job to share the love of Christ and the hope of the gospel in the power of the Spirit and leave the results up to God. It's that simple. 
We share the gospel in the power of the Spirit and we leave the results up to God. There's just such joy in these promises that surround Jesus being the bread of life. And, and I, again, going back to this promise that, that He will raise us up on the last day and all that come to Him, He will keep. This, this is another one of those promises that, that just brings such joy and hope into our life. But I also think that this is one of those promises that the enemy most tries to undermine in the hearts of Christ's people. He wants to take from us the abiding security of eternal life. He wants us to doubt whether or not we're actually His people, whether or not we actually belong to the Lord. The enemy tries to erode our foundation for living faithful Christian lives by getting us to doubt and question our eternal security in Christ. That is that which is this foundation we live upon, and it is that which motivates us in our obedience to Christ, that we belong to Him, that He is ours and we are His. But if we're constantly in turmoil over that, then it's hard to be obedient and it's certainly hard to be joyful. It can be disheartening when our soul is in constant agony over whether or not we are born again. That's what drove Martin Luther and what introduced us to the whole Reformation. He couldn't figure out how much was enough. And so he would beat himself and he would, he would go through long hours and days of repentance and fasting, enough so that it actually affected his physical health. He was not the same physically the rest of his life because of what he was doing to try to make sure he had done enough in his religious systems, to make sure he belonged to God, to make sure he was saved. And then God came to him and said, it's not what you do, it's what Christ did. You accept it by faith. You're born again. You've been brought to Christ. He will keep you. He will never cast you out. And he will raise you up on the last day. Brothers and sisters, Please hear the word. All that God brings to Christ will come to him. All that come to Christ, he will never cast out. And all that come to Christ will be kept and raised up on the last day. Let that tend your heart. Let that bring comfort and assurance. No religious system, certainly no material wealth can substitute for what is found in Christ. And our focus should be on Christ. And really, there's, there, there's, there's, there's so many more things in this passage to cover. But I just want to end with this. In these 37 or so verses, at least from my perspective, what is the most impactful is the call to come to Christ personally. We've said it already this morning many times. Again, Jesus isn't calling people to a religious system. The message again and again in this passage throughout the Gospel of John, throughout the New Testament, building on what we saw and have in the Old Testament, it is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I mean, it, it, I guess it seems obvious, but maybe we need to say it more often. If there is no Christ, there is no Christianity. You can't have the moral teachings of Jesus without them being tied to Jesus. Then you just have another system to follow. 
We don't offer the world a healthy way of living. We're not offering to the world a better system of government. We offer Christ who is our life and who will one day come and set up His final and permanent government in His kingdom. This is what we're offering. Come to Christ. See who He is. He is the bread of life. He will always satisfy. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. You will be kept until the end and you will be raised up. Come to Jesus. Don't come to this church. Don't come to me. Come to Jesus. Really, again, the whole backdrop of the Gospel of John so far, we just keep seeing all of these signs in the Old Testament that point us to Christ in the New Testament. In, in the first chapter, remember that heavens opened up and the angels were ascending and descending. That points us back to Jacob's ladder. And what we find from that is Jesus is the true stairway to heaven. In John 3, Jesus talked about the serpent in the wilderness that as he was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. In chapter 6, Jesus was walking on the water as if it were dry land. That's the point. That, that points us back to the Israelites crossing the Red Sea on dry land. And we are certainly, as already mentioned, we are to see in Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 that God is providing manna from heaven for His people just like He was in the wilderness. Jesus has become that manna, that bread of life for all. All that's signified there, all that's happening there, it's all pointing towards Christ. This is just so striking. Over and over we are pointed to, even forced to see Jesus as the greater Moses, the greater ladder, the greater healer, the greater deliverer, the greater manna. We are not given a religious system. We are not given a new set of rules to follow. We are not presented with a new system of worship. We are here given in the Gospel of John simply and wholly the person of Jesus Christ. Keep turning to Him. Don't let your focus be on anything else but Him. He is the bread of life. So I want you to hear this again. I'm going to read just a few of the scriptures from, from these 37 verses here. And just feel the impact of what's happening here. Jesus said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That you believe in who? Believe in Christ. For the bread of God is He, is He who comes down from heaven and He gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 39, And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Again, verse 44, No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I... I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. It just keeps on coming back to Jesus. 
That's why it's such a joy to preach Christ. Because He is Savior and Lord. He is Creator and Sustainer of all things. We keep coming back to Him. No matter where we are in our spiritual journey, we are presented with Jesus so clearly, so passionately in these passages, so overwhelmingly that we must respond to Him. To come to Him. To believe in Him. To give our lives to Him. We each have this moment, this opportunity to come to Him and never hunger, to believe in Him and never thirst. This is the work that God is doing now among us. To exalt the Son, the true bread of life, so we will see and believe, and by believing we will have life. I have nothing else to say except that. And I keep saying it again and again, that we might hear, that someone might hear, and believe, and repent, and go towards Christ. Do you hear Him calling you? Saying, come to me. I will never cast you out. I will keep you. We are told there is no true life if we do not come to Him. Every life that is lived apart from Christ is an empty shell of true life. Everyone who will not come to Him, who is the bread of life, but continues to work, who, who will continue to work for the bread that perishes, anyone that will not come to Him, but continues in a life looking other places. Jesus is saying your life is a forgery of true life. The bread of life is calling all of us. Come to Him. Believe in Him. And you will live. May our focus always be on our true spiritual needs and not on the things of this world. May our focus always be on Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord. Let's pray.